This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. United Front, President Biden tries to rally allies overseas to counter China's influence and Russia's aggression. The world stands at an inflection point in history. But as the war in Ukraine drags on, how long can the West stay unified? Secretary of State Antony Blinken is here in moments. Plus, head to head, she's the strongest Republican to take on Biden, according to CNN's new poll. But can she convince Republican primary voters? I know I can. Former U.N. ambassador and GOP presidential candidate Nikki Haley joins me for a wide-ranging discussion ahead. And clock's ticking, with just days left to prevent a government shutdown. Keep the government open. Republicans draw battle lines over support for Ukraine. Who will blink first? I'll ask House Foreign Affairs Chairman Michael McCall. Hello, I'm Jake Tapper in Washington, where the state of our union is focused overseas, particularly on the rescue workers currently searching for survivors after that horrific earthquake in Morocco. This morning, President Biden is in Hanoi, Vietnam, laying out his China policy on the second leg of his international trip aimed at shoring up support among U.S. allies. In a news conference just minutes ago, Biden walked the line by insisting that he does not want to contain China, but rather wants China to succeed, playing, quote, by the rules. We're not looking to hurt China. Uh, Sincerely, we're all better off if China does well. China does well by the international rules. Biden also found himself defending the G20 committee members' joint statement on Ukraine, which did not directly condemn Russia's war. Ukraine is reacting, frankly, with frustration, calling it, quote, nothing to be proud of after G20 members Russia and China had resisted stronger language in that final statement. Let's get straight to Republican presidential candidate Nikki Haley for her response to President Biden's trip. She's also the former U.S. ambassador to the United Nations. Uh, Ambassador Haley, thanks so much for joining us. Last year's G20 statement, as you know, explicitly condemned Russia's invasion of Ukraine, though, of course, Russia did not sign off on that part of the statement. This year, the final statement stopped short of any direct condemnation of the invasion. What is your reaction? What do you think is more important, unanimity or an explicit condemnation? It was a win for Russia and China. They're celebrating today. I mean, what we should have had was Biden should have really pushed hard to acknowledge what he acknowledged a year ago, that Russia invaded a pro-American, freedom-loving country. And that's a fact. And to deny a fact a year later is giving a win to Russia and China is gloating because they're looking at Taiwan as this is happening. And it's a shame. Some House Republicans, as you know, are fighting to strip $24 billion in aid to Ukraine out of the upcoming government spending bill. Do you think that would be a mistake? I think that you have to look at the fact that three and a half percent 
has been spent um, from our defense budget towards Ukraine. That's just 3.5%. That percentage of GDP, 11 European countries have spent more than us. We know that Russia has said once they take Ukraine, Poland and the Baltics are next, and then you're looking at a full-on war. What we're trying to do is prevent war. That's a pretty good return on investment to prevent war. So I think that we need to continue giving them equipment and ammunition with our allies to win. I don't think we need to give them straight up cash. I don't think we need to put troops on the ground. But we need to finish this because we have to always remember a win for Russia is a win for China. They've made that very clear. And right now, China is our number one national security threat. So House Republicans should keep that Ukraine spending in the spending bill and should not separate it and should support it. Republicans and Democrats should not pull in Afghanistan. Don't go pulling out now. We, Putin is at rock bottom. We know that because he's getting drones from Iran and missiles from North Korea. We know that because they've raised the draft age in Russia to 65. Finish this. Biden has missed multiple opportunities to finish this. We need to make sure that we end this war quickly, that we finish it, but we do it the right way. We don't want a further war, and the only way we can do that is to have Ukraine win. And there's no one that wants the Ukrainians to win more than the Taiwanese, because they know that if Ukraine wins, China will stay away from Taiwan. And so, yes, I think Republicans and Democrats need to keep their eye on the ball. And that is, let's finish this mission in Ukraine, and then we will handle Russia and China by just doing that. Your fellow candidates, uh, Chris Christie and Mike Pence, have traveled to Ukraine this year. Are you planning on traveling to Ukraine? I plan on traveling to Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, Nevada, and and the rest of the country. Um, I don't have time to go to another country right now. I'm trying to earn the support of many Americans. Especially the United Nations Commission looking into human rights violations in Ukraine recently said that it had, quote, not reached a conclusion whether there's genocide in Ukraine. You were the U.N. ambassador. Um, Is that finding acceptable to you? Do you think Russia is committing genocide in Ukraine? Well, first of all, it's hard to believe anything the U.N. says. It's a bit political. It's usually China biased. Um, And it's also Russian um, intruding into whatever they put out there. I think that what you have is, you know, when I was at the United Nations, we had no better friend than Ukraine. They voted with us on everything. They were supportive of everything that we did. And they're pro-American. And I think what we know is that they're a democracy. And the reason that they are so careful in this war is they're trying to protect people and trying to prevent Ukrainians from dying. I think if there's any bullseye, you need to be looking at Russia. They're the ones that have invaded. They're the ones that are targeting schools. They're the ones that continue to have death that they don't care about. And I think that's the one we really need to be talking about. So I don't take any U.N. report too seriously. On the subject of China, uh, the Biden administration, as you know, recently sent four top officials to China to try to stabilize relations. Uh, You have said the Biden administration has the wrong approach because they're looking for win-win cooperation with China. You say, quote, they don't see us as a competitor. They see us as an enemy, unquote. Do you view China as an enemy? China's been practically preparing for war with us for years. Yes, I view China as an enemy. And what's disappointing about what Biden has done is here you have China has bought up 400,000 acres of U.S. soil, most recently near Grand Forks Air Force Base. They bought our largest pork producer in the country. They continue to steal $600 billion of intellectual property. They're sending millions of dollars to our universities and stealing our research and spreading propaganda. 90% of our law enforcement drones are China. 
Chinese. So while Americans freaked out over the Chinese spy balloon, just imagine what's happening with all these mini spy balloons. They have killed more Americans than the Iraq, Iran, the Iraq, Afghanistan, and Vietnam wars combined with their sending fentanyl over. I mean, how much more has to happen for Biden to realize you don't send cabinet members over to China to appease them? You start getting serious with China and say, we're not going to put up with it. They keep sending different cabinet officials over, Jake, and it's embarrassing. You sent Ramondo right after she got hacked. Her emails got hacked by the Chinese. You sent all of these cabinet officials over after a Chinese spy balloon went over our country. They are putting a Chinese spy base up in on Cuba off the coast of Florida. And don't wait for the fact that they are going to be sending Chinese military troops there. What are we doing appeasing China? Instead, we should say you're not buying any more U.S. soil and we're going to take back what you've already bought. We're going to go and make sure that we don't have Chinese infiltration in our universities because our universities are going to have to pick between Chinese money or American money. We're going to end all normal trade relations with China until they stop killing Americans with with fentanyl. And then we're going to build up our military because China now has the strongest naval fleet in the world. They are developing hypersonic, artificial intelligence, cyber, space, neurostrike weapons, mm -hmm. which will they're the biggest developer, which actually affects military commanders' thinking and populations of, of um, people. We need to make sure that we're serious about China, and they know that we're serious about them, not going and being nice to them and thinking that they're going to change. Uh, on the subject of fentanyl, I just want to uh, take a diversion for one quick second, because I've heard some of your colleagues bring up an interesting subject, which is, you're right, fentanyl is uh, it's obscene and horrific what's going on in terms of uh, Americans being killed by this, this fentanyl crisis. Uh, Americans, uh, kids, who might take a, a, an herbal supplement that, that is not illegal and it has fentanyl in it and they die. Um, a, a friend of mine, his, his nephew died that way. I've heard some of your colleagues talk about treating the, the drug dealers in Mexico as if they are a, a terrorist cell and having the military, in cooperation with the Mexican government, obviously, treat those Mexican drug dealers as a terrorist cell. What do you think of something like that? Well, first of all, I think we deal with China first because that's the originator. That's where it's coming from. But I actually do think we should send our special operations over to eliminate the cartels. We can't wait on Mexico anymore. We can't wait on any more Americans to die. We have to be aggressive on this, and we treat them like the terrorists that they are. Those cartels, they're trafficking people, they're trafficking drugs, and they're killing Americans, and we have to put an end to it. So on the subject of China and Taiwan that you brought up a second ago, Vice President Harris was in Jakarta this week for a summit with Southeast Asian countries. President Biden has actually been criticized for being too direct on the subject of, of Taiwan, for, for abandoning what was called strategic ambiguity and, and saying directly that the U.S. would defend Taiwan militarily. What's your position? Let me ask you directly. If you were president, would you, would the U.S. with President Haley defend Taiwan militarily if China invaded? We will defend Taiwan and we will let China know there will be hell to pay if they do anything that hurts the Taiwanese or any of our allies. 
You know, a strong America prevents wars, Jake, and that's what we have to do. You can't appease them. I was very disappointed that Biden sent Kamala over there for the ASEAN summit. This is an important summit. It's 10 countries um, that are really focused on Chinese aggression in the South China Sea. And China's going to go bully these countries who are desperately trying to fight back, the Philippines, Malaysia, and others who want them to stop by sending Kamala there and not really showing that you've got seriousness, seriousness on the fact that this Chinese aggression is hurting when we know most of the world trade goes through that, um, the, you know, that area of water. I mean, it's a, it's a mistake. And again, he says things, I appreciate it, words are fine, but actions matter. And if he would have gone and really made a strong point there, I think that would have been much more um, important than having Kamala go there and smile and take pictures. So speaking of having a strong defense, speaking of having a strong Navy, Republican Senator Tommy Tuberville is currently, and for months, has been holding out more than 300 military promotions in the Senate, non-political positions, including the Chief of Staff of the Army, the Commandant of the Marine Corps, the Chief of Naval Operations, the Chairman of the Joint Chiefs role, is set to be vacant at the end of this month. I know you have criticized his decision. The military says this is hurting readiness. I know as a military spouse, you know, military spouses are really upset about this. Why is the Republican Party tolerating this? There's a couple of things here, Jake. I mean, let's speak hard truths, right? First of all, Department of Defense never should have done this. I disagree with it, and I'll put an end to it as president. You're talking you about the, to go through re- Congress. the reimbursement have- policy for travel, for abortion. Yes. Okay. Yes, because you have to do these things through Congress. We have three branches of government for a reason. You can't slip something in there like that and think that Congress is not going to be upset. So first, I'll put an end to that, and you'll handle it through the proper channels. Secondly, we don't need to be using military families as political pawns. That's a mistake. These, the military members and families, they sacrifice enough. They don't need to be a pawn in Congress. But look at the political games that continue to play. Chuck Schumer could still get this done if he went through and listed each member and had Congress vote on each member. But, Ambassador, right do, now, you, do you know what that would do? That- I mean, do you really want to have? I mean, the tradition is, generally speaking, that, that the Senate just votes uh, unanimous consent for 300 people to be promoted. Oh, you think the military is political now. You really want to have the U.S. Senate voting on somebody being promoted to major, to lieutenant colonel, to colonel, to ambassador, I mean, to uh, admiral. To, I mean, every single person is going to have their social media posts scrubbed. You really want, like, in the U.S. military, Bernie Sanders, Joe Manchin, like, everybody's going to decide everybody's promotions? This is how we're going to do uh, promotions from now on? Well, if you're going to talk about tradition, shouldn't Department of Defense do things the right way so we're never in this mess to start with? Let's, I mean, let's call it like we see it. Department of Defense started this. I'm not saying Senator Turbeville is right in doing this because I don't want to use them as pawns. But if you love our military, if you are so adamant about it, then go and make Congress. Republicans and Democrats have to go through person by person. Do you honestly think they won't say, okay, this is ridiculous, let's put an end to it? They will. But show show your 
show your true grit by going out there and saying, fine, if y'all are going to play the military for the pawns like this, let's go member by member. Let's make them pay the price. Let's make them do their job. Let's make them suffer so that they know what they're doing to these military families. This isn't about making it convenient for Congress. This is about making sure you're doing right by members of the military. This is making sure you hold the Department of Defense accountable. Let's call that what it is, Jake, because right now everybody's saying, oh, but do you really want Congress? Congress doing this. You know what I want Congress to do is their job. Right. I want Congress to do their job. I want them to deal with inflation. I want them to deal with gas prices and groceries. I want them to deal with the lack of transparency in schools. I want them to deal with the fact that, yes, military members are being used as pawns and they need to make sure that these families don't suffer. I want them to do their job. And the majority of Americans see that government's not working for the people. It's the people working for government. And it's got to stop, including these political games that they play. SpaceX CEO Elon Musk uh, has confirmed a report in Walter Isaacson's new biography of him that last year Musk personally blocked access to his Starlink satellite network in Crimea uh, in order to disrupt a major Ukrainian attack on the Russian Navy uh, in Crimea. Do you think what Musk did was appropriate? And are you okay with a private citizen having so much power over a war? Well, first of all, I don't know enough of the details about that to comment. But what I would say is if there's any sort of smoke, we should have transparency. We should be able to find out exactly what happened, who did it, when they did it, and why they did it. And then we should be able to take the appropriate action. The bottom line is we should always watch out for the national security of Americans and our allies. And if there was anything that came in the way of that, then we should address it. And if there's something there, then we should ask questions about it. But I think we need to look into it further. Your uh, campaign got some good news, some brand new polling from CNN suggesting you are far and away the strongest Republican candidate to take on uh, Joe Biden. In fact, you're the only one in our polling who would decisively beat President Biden in a head-to-head race. Everyone else is within the margin of error. Um, Still, on the Republican side, uh, you and all the other Republicans trail Donald Trump uh, in the primary. Why do you think the electability argument doesn't seem to be resonating more with Republican voters? Well, I think the reason that it shows that I would beat Biden by by six points is simple. I think the majority of Americans know we need a new generational leader, that we need to leave the negativity uh, of the past behind us. The majority of Americans don't want to see a rematch between Trump and Biden. That's been very clear. And the majority of Americans think that we need to go with younger faces, younger voices, and we've got some work to do. They're tired of working for government. They want government to work for them. In terms of the primary, look, we're just getting started. Debate season is what kicks off um, the primary. We have made huge jumps in the primary polls so far, but this is the beginning of it. We've got quite a bit Um, to go before we get to January. I'm going to work hard to earn every person's vote, whether it's Iowa, whether it's New Hampshire, South Carolina, Nevada, or across this country. We have a country to save, and I'm determined to do it. It is time that we finally address the debt and the economy so that taxpayers don't feel like their money's being wasted. It's time to address the fact that we need to have transparency in the class 
classrooms so that parents feel like they're in control of their children's education again. It's time that we deal with crime and bring law and order back to our country. And it's time that we secure our borders and start focusing on Americans instead of illegal immigrants that are coming in. And it's time that we finally have a strong national security where America is safe and we're strong abroad. That's what Americans want. It's not rocket science, it's common sense. And I think that we're gonna to continue to see that what we're saying is resonating. Can the Republican Party credibly claim to be a law and order party with a nominee who is facing 91 felony counts? Well, Jake, I'll tell you this. I was at the United Nations and I saw many countries who would say someone was a criminal before they were tried. This is America. We don't do that. You're not convicted until you've had the opportunity to defend yourself. So let's let Donald Trump defend himself. Let's see what happens. And if he is convicted, then the American people will deal with it then. But let's let's have the blessings that we have in America, which is everybody's innocent until proven guilty. Let's let the evidence play out. Let's let the lawyers do their thing and let's see what Donald Trump does and then we can make a decision. But I have faith in the American people. I trust them. And and I trust what will happen will be the right thing for our country. One of President Biden's biggest achievements he's touting on the campaign trail is a $35 price cap on insulin for American seniors on Medicare. Uh, some companies have extended that price, $35, to all their patients. As president, would you keep that $35 price cap on insulin or would you try to reverse it? I think what Biden did was a Band-Aid. Do we need to do something about health care? Absolutely. My dad just got out of the hospital. I know the cost. But the way we deal with it is we need to start exposing the insurance companies, the hospitals, the doctors, the PBMs, the pharmaceutical companies. Make them all transparent. Why should anyone go to the hospital and have an insurance company in a hospital negotiate the cost for the patient with the patient not having anything involved? Why are drugs so expensive? Why the pharmaceutical pharmaceutical companies get to decide this with government and not have patients at the table. Why don't we have more competition and transparency in this? When I am president, we will go through and expose all of that. If we just dealt with the insurance companies alone, we would cut health care in half. So yes, it's great when you can say we're going to lower the cost of these drugs because people cannot afford them, but it's a Band-Aid. It's not fixing the real problem. Let's do the hard work and fix the fact that we are the best country in the world with the most expensive health care and regular normal Americans can't afford it. You know, when my mom went to the hospital, they gave her two Tylenol. She said, I don't need it. They said, well, honey, you might as well take it because you're going to pay for it anyway. That's ludicrous. We need to break the system and refix it, not just keep putting Band-Aids over it because it's just leaving more and more Americans suffering and unavailable, unavailable um, to be able to afford their, their health care. Your 2024 competitor, Vivek Ramaswamy, uh, just recently said he would deport the children of undocumented immigrants uh, who are born in the United States, children born in the United States, uh, although those kids have been widely considered to have birthright citizenship under the 14th Amendment. Uh, what do you think? Do you think uh, children born in the United States have birthright citizenship, uh, or do you think they should be deported? 
I think that conversation is putting the cart before the horse. What we need to do is go to Congress and say, do your job. They need to do immigration reform. First of all, we need to secure the border, stop anyone from coming over, and make sure that we do that by stopping catch and release, go to catch and deport, defund sanctuary cities, make sure that we go back to the Remain in Mexico plan because nobody wants to remain in Mexico, and put 25,000 Border Patrol and ICE agents and let them do their job. When it comes to legal immigration, Congress needs to get in a room and fix this. We need to go and deal with the fact that we shouldn't be bringing people into our country based on quotas. What about if we brought people into our country based on merit, where you looked and said, what do we need in our economy? What companies need workers? What jobs are we not able to fill? If you brought them in based on that, all of a sudden, you're building our economy. You're helping America. You're not bringing in illegals who are coming in and using our system and that taxpayers are paying for. Let's do it the right way. The fact that you want to talk about children of illegal immigrants, that's the cart before the horse. Why don't we talk about legal immigration, reforming it, stopping the border, and then talk about what we're going to do to deal with the children of illegal immigrants? Uh, one last thing before we go. Um, there are a lot of candidates who are still in the race who are routinely polling in the very, very low single digits. Um, as somebody not there, a little bit higher, do you think it's time for the field to consolidate a little bit? Should some of the other candidates drop out? I think we've seen the field consolidate some. You know, we started with 12. I think eight ended up on the debate stage. The criteria will go up for the September 27th debate. I think the field will wind down a little bit more. And so as this goes on, I think we're going to see it continue to get smaller and smaller. This isn't 2017 where we had 2016 where we had 17 people on the stage. I'm thinking that we're going to have six when it comes to the next debate stage and we'll compete, continue to wind it down. And so I'm comfortable with the process taking place the way that it is. And I think that the American people will start to kind of force this on their own and um, we'll end up with the right nominee. I expect to be that nominee. I expect to be the president and I expect to get our country back on track. Is South Carolina a must win for you, you think? I think Iowa and New Hampshire are, are states that we need to do well in. I think I needed to be, have a strong showing in Iowa, a strong showing in New Hampshire. And I think if I do both of those, I think the people of South Carolina will um, show me the grace that they've shown me before. We had an event uh, in North Charleston just a couple of days ago. We had 1,000 people. The week before that, we were in Indian Land, South Carolina. We had 1,000 people there, several hundred in Boiling Springs. So South Carolinians have been good to me. They know I work. They know I fight for them. And they know it. At the end of the day, I produce results. And so I expect that they will continue to want me to do that for them as we go into the presidential part of this, of taking the lead in this country. Ambassador Haley, always good to see you. Thanks so much. Come back soon. Thanks so much, Jake. Go to NikkiHaley.com and join our cause. As President Biden wraps up his high stakes trip around the world, I'm going to talk to his secretary of state next. And then... With Congress coming back from recess, Republican Committee Chairman Michael McCall will join me ahead. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support, your sleep number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. 
All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. And joining me now is Secretary of State Antony Blinken. Uh, Secretary Blinken, thanks for joining us. I do want to start with this devastating earthquake in Morocco Saturday morning. The death toll staggering, uh, expected to rise, of course. Rescuers struggling to reach some hard-to-hit hard-hit areas. Obviously, the first 24 to 48 hours are the most crucial. What is the U.S. doing to help? Well, Jake, you're right. This is devastating. And we reached out immediately to the Moroccan government to offer any assistance that we can provide. We have mobilized uh, the government itself to be ready to provide that assistance. We have U.S. Agency for International Development, which takes the lead in these efforts, that is ready to go. And we await word from the uh, Moroccan government to find out Uh, how we can help, where we can help, but we're ready to go. G20 leaders agreed to a joint declaration that in part called for countries to, quote, refrain from the threat or use of force to seek territorial acquisition against other sovereign nations. That is significantly weaker language than last year's joint statement, which called for Russia's, quote, complete and unconditional withdrawal, unquote, from Ukraine. Why did the U.S. agree to a watered-down declaration that does not even condemn Russia by name or explicitly call for Russia to leave Ukraine. Jake, the G20 countries in the statement all stood up for the importance of territorial integrity, sovereignty, uh, and that's very clear. I was in the room when uh, all the leaders spoke today with with President Biden, uh, and it was very clear from everything that they said uh, that uh, not only do they want to see this war end, but they want to see it end on just in durable terms. And it was also very clear that the consequences of Russia's aggression are being felt throughout uh, the the G20 countries and throughout the developing world. So there was, uh, I think, real clarity from the leaders in the room. And again, the statement strongly affirms the proposition that this is about Ukraine's territorial integrity and sovereignty, the principles that are at the heart of the United Nations Charter. But I've heard you talk about this issue. You must be disappointed that they couldn't agree to a stronger language. No, I think it's very important that uh, the G20 spoke as one. I mean, to some extent, maybe it's the G19, because obviously uh, Russia is also here. Uh, it's part of the G20. But the fact that we have a statement coming out collectively, of, again, affirming the importance of, of, of Ukraine, its territorial integrity, its sovereignty, that, that speaks loudly. Uh, but what really speaks loudly, again, are the, uh, the leaders in the room itself. And I think if you are on the receiving end, of what so many of them said, if you were in the Russian seat, uh, it's pretty clear where the rest of the world stands. So Speaker McCarthy right now appears to be moving to separate the nearly $24 billion in new funding to help Ukraine from this potential spending deal to avert a government shutdown later this month. 
Um, what would that mean for Ukraine's offensive uh, if the aid is separated and if that aid ultimately is not approved by uh, Congress? Look, this is a, a moving picture, and I think it's very clear to us uh, and to, to many uh, in Congress that this additional assistance is something that Ukraine needs in this moment to continue to uh, carry out the counteroffensive to regain its territory, uh, as well as to strengthen its uh, defense, its military going forward. Uh, it's not only the right thing to do, it's the smart uh, and necessary thing to do in our own interests, because as we've said from day one, if we allow this Russian aggression to go forward with impunity, uh, it's not just Ukrainians who are suffering. Uh, it's virtually everyone around the world who relies on the principles that are at the heart of the U.N. Charter, including that one big country can't simply trample on the borders uh, of another, invade it, and try to take it over. Uh, because if we allow that to go forward with impunity, uh, if we don't stand up against that, then it's open season everywhere around the world. Uh, I've heard um, uh, Leader McConnell speak very powerfully uh, to this. Uh, other colleagues on the House side, like uh, Chairman Mike McCall of the House Foreign yeah. Affairs Committee. Uh, so we've had a strong bipartisan partnership with Congress throughout. I would expect that to continue. So SpaceX CEO Elon Musk uh, has recently confirmed a report that's in Walter Isaacson's new biography of Musk that last year Musk blocked access to his Starlink satellite network in Crimea in order to disrupt a major Ukrainian attack on the Russian Navy there. In other words, Musk effectively sabotaged uh, a military operation by Ukraine, a U.S. ally, against Russia, an aggressor country that invaded a U.S. ally. Should there be repercussions for that? Jake, I can't speak to a specific episode. Here's what I can tell you. Starlink has been a vital tool for the Ukrainians to be able to communicate with each other, and particularly uh, for the military uh, to communicate in their effort to defend all of Ukraine's territory. It remains so, and I would expect it to, to continue uh, to be critical to their efforts. So what we would uh, hope and expect is that that technology will remain fully available to the Ukrainians. It is vital to what they're doing. I don't know that you can't speak to it. You won't speak to it. Musk says he was reportedly afraid that Russia would retaliate with nuclear weapons. Musk says that's based on his private discussions he had with senior Russian officials. Are you concerned that Musk is apparently conducting his own diplomatic outreach to the Russian government? Really, n none of this concerns you? Jake, I can't speak to uh, conversations that may or may not have happened. I don't know. Um, I'm focused on the fact that the technology itself, Starlink, has been really important to the Ukrainians. It remains so. And uh, it, it should continue to be part of what they're able to call on to be able to communicate with themselves and, again, to have the military uh, be able to, to communicate. Um, throughout this uh, Russian aggression, uh, you know, we, have, we ourselves have always had to factor in uh, what uh, Russia may do in response to any given thing that we or others do or the Ukrainians do. Um, and, and we have. Uh, but what's so critical now is that uh, Ukraine has had real success over the past year. I was uh, just in Ukraine, as you know. Um, the last time I was there was almost exactly a year ago. In that year, uh, from the last time I was there till this week, the Ukrainians have uh, retaken more than 50 percent of the territory seized by Russia since February of 2022. They're now engaged in a critical counteroffensive. 
uh, and we're doing everything we can to maximize our support for them, along with many other countries, so that they can be successful. Starlink yeah. is an important part of, uh, of their success, and as I said, we expect that it will continue to be so. It sounds like Starlink's so important the U.S. government doesn't want to risk offending a capricious billionaire uh, who did some things that I think in another situation the U.S. government might want to say something about, but let's move on. Last month marked two years since the Abbeygate bombing in Afghanistan that killed 13 service members during the chaotic Afghanistan withdrawal. Um, I recently spoke to Gold Star family members um, of those lost service members, and they told me that they think the Biden administration, specifically the Pentagon, is not giving them the answers and the accountability that they need uh, for what happened to their loved ones that day. Does the Pentagon need to be more forthcoming about what happened that day to those 13 service members? Jake, uh, I can't even begin to, to put myself in the shoes of those who lost their, their loved ones and who were uh, acting so heroically uh, and bravely. I, I can't begin to imagine what they're feeling. I can, I can you know, just say that if I were in their shoes, I'd probably feel exactly the same way. Um, and we're determined as an administration uh, to make sure that for the, in, the, the entire duration of the war, including uh, Abbey Gate, that uh, we draw the lessons that we need to draw from it uh, and, and act accordingly. Um, and uh, we will, and we are. Um, at the same time, the President made a very difficult but very important decision to end America's longest war, 20 years. And we want to make sure, and as a result of what the President did, we can make sure that we're not going to have another generation going to Afghanistan to fight and die there, as we had for, uh, for 20 years. Uh, so we, uh, we did the right thing. But, of course, we will look very hard at everything, every aspect of uh, the decisions that we made uh, to make sure that uh, we, we get it right uh, every time uh, going forward and that everyone who was involved feels that uh, appropriate uh, justice has been done to the sacrifice of their loved ones. Uh, but, again, for me, uh, I... I had a chance to see many of these families when um, we uh, brought their loved ones home through, uh, through Dover. And uh, it's, a, it's something that, uh, again, I just can't uh, fully put myself in, in their shoes. Um, I have so much admiration for the extraordinary courage of uh, service, uh, Sergeant, Sergeant G, uh, Corporals uh, Lopez, uh, Espinoza, uh, so many others. Um, they were extraordinary. But, you know, I'll say one last thing. Like so many other people, um, I've been engaged, as you have, in the, the war in Afghanistan, uh, Iraq, over 20 years. And during that time, I was in, in government virtually the entire time. Um, I was out at Dover repeatedly as we brought the remains of our service members home. I was in a C-17 with a flag-draped coffin coming back from one of those battlefields. Uh, I know the sacrifice of so many over so many years. And I know that because President Biden ended America's longest war, uh, that won't be the case going forward. That we will not, as I said, be sending another generation of Americans to fight and die there. Secretary Blinken, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Jake. 
President Biden on the world stage, a top House Republican weighs in on the foreign trip. Next. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. Celebrities of all kinds are speaking publicly about their therapeutic trips, so to speak. It turns out there is a burgeoning industry ready to serve the new influx of people who find themselves turning away from traditional mental health therapy. The gap between what we know and what we don't about psychedelic therapy. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. Welcome back to State of the Union. I continue to be Jake Tapper. President Biden is wrapping up his overseas trip. He will return home to a host of political challenges as Congress returns from recess. I am here uh, with the chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, Michael McCall, Republican of Texas. Uh, Chairman uh, McCall, um, first I want to get your reaction to the fact that the G20 communique is weaker this year uh, than last year when it comes to Russia's aggression against uh, Ukraine. Um, Obviously, Russia is a member of the G20 and and blocked it. Uh, Last year, uh, the the diplomatic situation was different so that uh, Russia just disagreed with that part of the communique. Ukraine responded today by saying uh, that the G20 has nothing to be proud of because this communique specifically does not condemn what Russia is doing in Ukraine. What's your response? What do you think? I, I agree with uh, Ukraine. You know, last year at the G20, they basically um, uh, said that, you know, there's a path forward for Ukraine to join NATO after security agreements after the war is over. This year, they're saying there was no Russian aggression, a major departure from last year and a real slap in the face to Zelensky as they're conducting the counteroffensive. So the timing can be worse. The other thing that I I took out of that was that we're not here to contain China. Let me run that sound because uh, I want people to hear it. It it caught caught your ear, it caught my ear as well. Uh, President Biden uh, talking about uh, how he wants China uh, to behave according to the way that that, uh, other nations uh, behave said this. So really what this trip was about it was less about containing China. I, I, I don't want to contain China. I just want to make sure we have a relationship with China that is on the up and up, squared away. Everybody knows what it's all about. What was your response to that? I mean, what a frightening foreign policy to go to the G20. Xi Jinping did not attend. Uh, we know the quads there. I mean, countries that don't like China. The whole point of him going to the region, in my view, was to get our friends and allies and partners together in the event of an invasion of Taiwan and a greater invasion into the South Pacific Sea. And the only way we can stop that is through deterrence, deterrence in diplomacy and deterrence in weapon systems that we have yet to put into country that I signed off on. So if you have a lack of military deterrence, a lack of diplomatic deterrence, and you're economically saying we want to work with you, what deterrence does Chairman Xi have in his mind that would prevent him from making that bold move to take and invade Taiwan, put a blockade in, cut the sea cable, and then take over TSMC, by the way, that has 90% of the advanced semiconductor chip manufacturing for the world. Uh, This is a wrong message to send. It was not one of deterrence, 
And once again, like with Afghanistan, he's projecting weakness, which will draw aggression. I want to get to Afghanistan in a second, but just to to keep talking about China for, for this second, you could, one could make the argument, look, President Biden is the first president to ever toss aside this strategic ambiguity and say directly, we will help Taiwan militarily if China invades. Uh, so that deterrence is already there. And this would be him, I'm just trying to put my, you know, myself in his head, this would be him saying, come on, China, come back to the, the world of nations and behave like a normal country. Now, maybe you think they're, they're so far beyond that you can't even do that. Mm. But, but what of that argument? Well, I can see diplomatically that being a, a play, but I think it's a weak play because Chairman Xi doesn't understand weakness. He understands power. And when you listen to his addresses to his Communist Party, to his Congress, very clear, reunification of Taiwan and a broader ambition to basically in the 100-year marathon have 100% military economic control over the globe. And, and that is where they're headed unless we can provide the deterrence. This kind of language, if, if I'm Chairman Xi, this is great. This is like when Biden lifted Nord Stream 2 on Putin and gave him carte blanche uh, to move in, like after Afghanistan projecting weakness. Then we see the Russian Federation moving in. I don't think projecting weakness ever works. And the language I heard, uh, I thought was, was very weak. So it has been, let's talk about Afghanistan. It's been two years um, since the Afghanistan withdrawal. Uh, the fall of Kabul, the deaths of those 13 service members and 170 Afghans at Abbey Gate. Uh, you heard from Gold Star families of those service members in recent days on Capitol Hill. We've talked to, to many of them as well. Are you getting the answers you need from this administration about what went wrong uh, in the withdrawal and at Abbey Gate? And if you're not, uh, is your committee, are you prepared to issue subpoenas to get them? Well, we have. And I, I threatened to hold the uh, Secretary of State in contempt. But it took that to get a personal phone call to start getting cooperation. Uh, I, there's no reason why this administration should not be giving these Gold Star families all the answers. All they want is the truth. They want transparency. And when they don't do that, it, it makes them wonder, why are you hiding things, Right. So I feel like I'm the advocate on behalf of the Gold Star families. They deserve to get access to Colonel Whitehead, who did not give permission to Sergeant Tyler to take out the suicide bomber. You know, they deserve to know about why an airstrike was was not given to take out the very individual who was in charge of the suicide bombing operation uh, with ISIS-K. They need to know why they were released from Bagram Air Base. And this will go all the way up the chain of command, both state uh, DOD, and ultimately within the White House. But I would ask that they, they give these families answers. I mean, in a way, they have more power than I do. It's easy for them to say no to me. It's very hard for them to say no to these families. Yeah. So just so you know, I, because we've been covering this a lot, the, the, I think the Pentagon would, t- and I'm, I'm not the Pentagon, but I think the Pentagon would take issue with the idea uh, that that sergeant had the actual suicide bomber in his sights, uh, Per, per se, and that, that the information about ISIS-K in that hotel uh, was actionable intelligence in terms of the bombing. I don't know, but I'm just saying yeah. I asked the same questions, and that's what they told well, me. Well, the five uh, snipers on the ground right. confirm what, and PSYOPs, by the way, confirm what uh, Tyler said. 
We need to. We, we need more. We need more. If that's uh, not correct, then give us access to one hundred percent. One hundred percent. You want transcribed interviews with specific members of the Biden administration? Yeah, we want to talk to Jen Psaki. Yeah, the messages she was sending out from the White House were so different from what was happening on the ground. You know, uh, John Kirby made the comment that no weapons were left behind, which is insane. There, are, you know, seven billion dollars of weapons. And I can show you the tapes of the weapons and the cash that were left behind. Uh, Ned Price, you know, the State Department, making rosy comments. And, and we need to, you know, we're gonna, we sent letters to have them uh, testify, uh, all giving a rosy picture, while at the same time what was happening on the ground was very different. I don't know where this is going to end, Jake, but as a former federal prosecutor, I'm going to follow all the facts. I'm not out to take, you know, I have great respect for General McKenzie and General Milley, by the way. Um, I don't know if any of this actually went up to their level, um, but I do know that an airstrike was denied that could have taken out the suicide bombing team, uh, ISIS-K. That was let out of Bagram, by the way. Yeah. Speaking of, uh, of General Milley, uh, he is retiring as joint, uh, chairman of the Joint Chiefs at the end of the month. His role might not be filled uh, because your fellow Republican, Senator Tommy Tuberville of Alabama, is holding up more than 300 military promotions. These are not political positions. These are majors and lieutenant colonels and colonels and admirals and generals uh, in, the, in the Senate because he opposes to a Pentagon travel reimbursement policy having to do uh, with abortion. Uh, expert after expert, military uh, individual after military individual says this is hurting readiness. How long is the Republican Party going to let this one senator do this to our military? Yeah, I just talked to the, this guy named Dakota who got the Medal of Honor yesterday. This is paralyzing the Department of Defense. You know, the idea that one man in the Senate can hold this up for months. I understand maybe promotions, but nominations is paralyzing the Department of Defense. I think that is a, a national security problem and a national security issue. And I really wish he would reconsider this because we're working this issue out in the National Defense Authorization. We worked it out on the House side. We're going to conference in the Senate. We're going to work out this you know, abortion issue that has been a tradition within the NDAA. Uh, but to hold up the top brass from being promoted and lower brass, I think, is paralyzing our Department of Defense. Chairman Michael McCall, Republican of Texas, thanks so much for being here. And Ukraine's president is speaking out. That's coming up next. Thank you for spending your Sunday morning with us. Fareed Zakaria interviews Ukrainian and President of Volodymyr Zelensky next. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.